Praise the Lord, everyone. Is there anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? How many have come to the conclusion that you serve a good God? Amen. Things in my life are not always good. But my God is always a good God. Amen. And so, what can I say? It's a privilege and an honor to be here. If I can just get the butterflies from stop flying around in my stomach, I think I'd feel better. Of the preaching that I've heard without measure, it's been incomparable. What we heard this morning, if there was no more preaching, we have heard the keynote sound, the certain sound. That truth is truth. Amen. And uh, it's exciting to be here with Pastor Libby. Again, a good friend. We go way back. Brother Doug White. We're Brother Pixler. I just, I don't want to start naming because I'm not going to <clears throat> captivate everybody in there. But And uh, Brother Urshan, thank you for just allowing God to breakthrough. Amen. So, amen. It's good to see Brother Greg tonight. I see him in the, man, that's a flash from the past. So, awesome. It's, um, I, say, I think it was Bunch and Breeze down in Louisiana. I'm just awesomeized to be here. As you know, I'm from Alabama and I feel sort of like an Alabama mule in the Kentucky Derby. I know I'm not going to win, I'm not going to place, and I'm not going to show, but it's just good to be in the race. The hospitality of this great church is unparalleled. We've been fed, and I don't know if they're fattening us up for the kill. Or if this is, this, I'm, I've got to, I've got an idea that this is just the hospitality that they have learned. And truly, the church begins to take on the personality and the characteristics of those who are in leadership, the pastor, the bishop. And so, what I can tell is that the bishop and the pastor have exemplified a spirit of hospitality. And perfection and just doing things first class. And uh, that is to be commended. So thank you. Hotel room was great. Baskets. Breakfast is just without parallel. And so we're just glad to be here. We're bringing you greetings from the Apostolic Tabernacle Church. And when they started singing, I said, okay, Mark's been here. I said, okay, Brother Yandra says, come before me, the blood still works. So, I'm assuming that that's one of the songs. Yeah, that's what I figured, yeah, so. 
So even when I leave Merced, Merced is where I get to be here. And so just good to be here. I, my mind has been racing, trying to make sure that I am doing what I feel like God wants me to do. I feel like, Brother Lee, I got a plethora of things running through my head. And I'm trying to sift through to the subtle nuance of God's voice creeping through the consciousness of all of that. And so I'm just going to go with what I feel like the Lord wants me to do. And unfortunately for some of you who may have heard this sermon before, trust me, when Pastor Heyman first called me, my mind, I felt like I already knew what I wanted to do. But uh, in just a little waiting on God and listening, um, I feel like I have a little bit of direction. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, my preaching tonight would be somewhat of a departure from my normal preaching. So you'll have to be patient with me and entertain me for a little bit. And let's see what the Lord will do. Is that all right? Amen. It is not expedient to me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Now that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear. Least any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I should be exalted above measure for this thing I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness more gladly. Therefore will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities the in persecution and distress for Christ's sake for when I am weak then am I strong so I want to talk to you if I can just for a moment I don't know if I'm going to preach but I will talk to you on this subject the paradox of strength and weakness the paradox of strength and weakness. Thank you for standing. Well, why don't we just lift your hands. If you have something that you need God to help you with, an infirmity is a weakness. It is your weakest hour, your weakest moment. If you're feeling like that right now, I want you to lift your hands and ask God to help us right now. Ask God to help me 
do what he has asked for me to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I would, God, that you would touch and bring revelation, anointing, and understanding, discretion in the house. Move by the power of the Holy Ghost. Even now, by the authority that is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take dominion and authority in Jesus' name. I bind every unclean spirit. I bind every hindering power that the power of the Holy Ghost would break yokes and destroy chains and loose shackles and set us free in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. You may be seated. So Paul begins this rather convoluted time of speaking to us and he is trying his best to remain transparent. Evidently Paul has taken a journey of a spiritual nature and saw things that if he would tell us we would think he had lost his mind. And the revelations that Paul had received from God, even from the beginning, from the road to Damascus and three years in the desert had caused him a certain amount of trouble. He has a kin in Joseph that Joseph hears from God and he's talking and everybody now wants to kill him because he's saying things and seeing things that nobody else is saying and seeing. So Paul wants us to know that the revelations that God was giving him was abundant and that it was not lawful. In other words, I'm assuming that wherever he was and wherever he was caught up, he was told, you can't tell anybody what you're seeing. You can't tell anybody what you're hearing. You're just going to have to keep your mouth closed about everything that's going on right here. I can imagine having such things that you want to just yell and scream, but Paul has this deal. And then all of a sudden, he begins to talk about weakness and infirmities and things that, uh, that was uh, abundant according to the measure of the revelation. And he introduces to us the thorn in the flesh. Then he sort of defines it a little bit and says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And then he even gives us the reason why the messenger and the reason why the buffeting was necessary. Uh, at least I should be exalted above measure. Now, I'm, it's, it's under scrutiny exactly what the messenger was saying. And what the buffeting was all about and what the thorn in the flesh really was. That is inconsequential to our, to our text today because whatever his thorn would be, mine would be different. No amens yet. Uh, because everybody is going to receive something to keep us where God wants us to be. So I am not so much going to be Sherlock Holmes and trying to deduce what the thorn was. Because whatever his thorn was, my thorn will be something different. But all of us will say, 
if I didn't have this happening to me, I believe that I could serve the Lord better. If I didn't have this situation, this thing in my life, I would be a better preacher. But God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And though Paul said three times, uh, if you'll just move this thing away, God says, we're, we're done talking about it. We're, we don't talk about it anymore. There are just certain things in your life that is put there by God so that you can make the journey that you're on. And maybe you think that if you could get away from it, your life would be better. But God knows everything about you and everything about me. And he knows what I need to help me to make the journey that's ahead of me. Amen. And so we're always wanting God to make this depart and make that depart and take this away from me. Even when we get in trials, the first situation is take me out of this. And God says, no, you, you've got to be in there because it didn't come to destroy you, but rather to develop you. Amen. Not too many amens in the house yet, but I'll hopefully get to something that you like in a few minutes. And so he is saying, I, I went to the Lord and it's almost in my mind, it's like Samuel for Saul and crying all night long until the morning. And then God says, would you knock it off? Because I'm not changing my mind. You might as well quit praying for Saul. Get up and get your horn. Fill it with oil. I've, I've got somebody else I want you to anoint. That there are times, friend, when you need to be quick crying about stuff that's going on and learn how to navigate through some of the subtle nuances of living for God and step back on your heels and say, no matter what comes my way, my mind is made up. I will serve the Lord. His grace. Is sufficient for uh, let me stop here at this junction and make sure you know what I'm talking about now we don't believe in the sloppy agape we don't believe in the unmeasurable grace of sin abounding because grace can abound God forbid it says in book of Romans chapter 6 how that we that are dead to sin live any longer therein no we're, grace amen is not a covering that you can do whatever you want to do just because you're in the dispensation of grace I know amens yet, but maybe I'll say something in just a minute. Amen. Grace is not a, a, a conscious letter. Amen. That lets me do anything I want to do because I am covered by grace. It is theologically erroneous. Grace is not a covering. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. There's only one covering. And the only covering there is, is the atonement. And grace is not an atonement. The only atonement there is, is the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not covered by grace. I'm covered by the blood. I wish I had some help early on in the sermon tonight. I'm not covered by grace. Somebody help me. I'm covered by the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the blood, you're stealing your sin. Without the blood, amen, we don't get out. We can't go. So grace is not a covering. 
Grace is not a cover. It is not a license to live any way you want to live. To do whatever you want to do. But Paul tells us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to every man. Teaching us grace is a teacher. I didn't get too many amens on that, but it's all right. Grace is a teacher. Ah, I got an angel standing here. He's saying amen. Ah, grace is a t- teaching us that denying. Grace teaches you how to deny yourself. Grace teaches you how to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Grace is not a covenant. Grace teaches you not to lie. Grace teaches you not to steal. Grace teaches you don't go in there. Don't wear that. Don't do. Grace is not a covenant. It's grace that grabs me and said, listen, you don't need to be going over there. Come on over here with me because, uh, see, grace will take me away from sin, not tell me it's okay to indulge in it. Ah, help me. Help me, Jesus. Amen. And so much that John tells us in John 1, 16, and of his fullness uh, have we all received and grace for grace or grace upon grace or grace abounding within without and all through grace amen everything that Christ was we get the full we get the fullness you're not getting what I'm preaching yet because if you did uh, you would have been shouting already I don't get secondhand grace I get Jesus grace Uh, I'm not talking about the son of God I'm talking about the son of man Uh, come on and help me now I'm talking about the grace to walk right the the grace to talk right the grace to live right the grace to give right the grace to stand up amen in the middle of a situation and say it's all right because God is going to give me the grace amen to go through everything that I have to go through Paul is trying to rid himself of possibly the only thing that keeps him safe Paul is trying to walk away from the very thing that keeps him fixated to the cross. Paul is trying to shed himself of this garment that he feels is obtrused and overbearing. He doesn't even realize that this is the very thing that keeps him saved. Because even Paul recognized himself. I have a problem with pride and arrogance. Oh, you didn't hear me. It got awful, deadly quiet there. Because it's at least I be exalted above measure. It is talking about a spirit and an attitude of pride and arrogance. And Paul needed the buffeter. Paul needed the messenger. Paul needed that for him to be saved. Ah, because pride and vanity and the sinful nature, amen, will drive us to a place where we will easily be lost. 
I have no problems dealing with devils. I have dominion and authority over them. Huh. I'm not being arrogant. I'm, I'm in the book. But there is one spirit that I cannot do anything. I don't have dominion over it. It is the human spirit. The humans, the devil can be cast out, but the human spirit remains. Your biggest problem is not the world. Not too many, not too many amens. Your biggest problem is not the devil. Your biggest problem is not internet pornography that you're addicted to. Did you think I was really going to let you escape? Your biggest problem is not the drugs and not, no, 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 uh-uh. It's not the world of media. That's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is your own human spirit. Because it is not subject to the laws of God. I, I wish somebody helped me preach today. The only way my human spirit is subject to the laws of God is that I have to make it subject. There is no preacher that can subjugate me to the church. I have to bring my spirit under some. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I need some. Uh, do I have anybody there to say amen? I, I have to bring my own spirit subject to the laws of Christ. I wish somebody help me early on. I have to look at myself and grab myself. But I can't, my pastor can't do that for me. Amen. The bishop can't do that for me. Mile High Conference can't do that. I got to drop down on my own knees and subject myself to the power of God and allow God to be king on the throne of my heart. I hope I'm doing all right. I'm trying to do good. Paul enters in to Mars Hill. He's there in Athens, just crossed the river. Been ran away from Thessalonica by the chicks. I mean, here's the big apostle Paul. All the chicks in town just ran him. I mean, he goes to Berean, he goes to Thessalonica, and all the great ladies just run him away. Paul was a smart man. I fight with a man all day, but I'm going to run from a woman. A woman will hurt you. <laughs> he swanders with the swag up to Mars Hill and sees their inscription to the unknown God and begins to engage them in the philosophical concepts of Christ according to the teachings of Gamaliel. Finally got a chance. To show my stuff. They literally called him a babbler. Something happened between then and another place in scripture where he tells them, but when I came to Corinth, I decided not to know anything among you but Christ. And him crucified. Somewhere Paul realized 
that arrogant intellectualism doesn't really get the job done. I've got to go back and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm all for us being educated, but let's not forget the simplicity that is in the message. Not only does the blood still work, but the gospel still saves. The good news is still good news. I feel like preaching if I had some help. Somebody say amen. Paul, in writings, I love Paul. He's so arrogant. I love him because I'm just like him. I'm prideful and arrogant. Stuff I have to watch out for every stinking day. Just when I think I've got it under control. His hideous head rises up and said, you thought I was going someplace. I said, God, can't you just make me humble forever? But it is my battle. It is my thorn. I I don't have any help, but it's all right. Uh, It is what I have to fight every stinking day. Uh, It's what I have to do every time I'm in the prayer room. God, uh, forgive me for my stinking pride uh, and my stinking arrogance uh, and my vanity and my human spirit. Would you you just give me a dose of something that will totally eradicate it? No, uh, my grace uh, is still uh, sufficient for you. Paul trying to accentuate his apostleship for I am a Hebrew of the Hebrew Pharisee of the Pharisee circumcised on the eighth day in the stock of Benjamin and he goes on and on to the break of dawn to the hip hop give me that you don't stop walking to the bank oh, yeah. that's a sugar here game for some of y'all that's been in the church for too long but after the bufferter comes he says now I'm Paul Chief of sinners. What happened? Somebody's not hearing me. What happened? Paul encountered his weaknesses. Paul encountered his infirmities. Paul had to look at all of these things and then he began to understand that when I am weak, Ah, help me. When I am vulnerable, when I don't have any defense around me, and then when I am open and transparent, at the very point of my human weakness, it's when God steps in and my weakness, amen, becomes his strength, and his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I will therefore now more gladly glory not in who I am but in who he is. Help me Holy Ghost. And then if you would allow me to move on. The trilogy of tragedy. I call it, it is the subtle dance between God and the devil. Job caught in the middle. It's a crazy deal. I look at it and I wonder, 
Now here it is. Satan comes, him and God get in this little confab. And God introduces Job to Satan. Have you, have you considered him? I have. But you have a hedge. I do. Is that a problem with you? It is because I can't get to him. Well, if you got to him, what would you do to him? Well, I could think of something if you'll just let me have it. Well, I can't let you have all of him, but we can work out something if you really can work out something. Well, you know, Job doesn't really love you. This Job, Job doesn't serve you for not. Job doesn't really offer and sacrifice because he really loves you, God. Job has interior motives and things that are going on that you don't understand. Oh, you don't know Job like I know Job, son. Job, Job loves me. I, I'm telling you, he does not. And if you'll let me add him, if you'll move the heads, then I will prove to you and let me touch him. He will curse you to your face. He will do to you what I did to you. Oh, really? You really think you can do that? Let me add him then. Nobody tells Job what's going on. I wonder now what God and Satan is cooking up for your life. Satan goes about now. Having accused Job to God, now he goes to accuse God to Job. Fire comes down from heaven. And so the, the messengers say, the fire of the Lord. The fire of the Lord came down. Because the only thing that the devil wants you to understand is that God doesn't really love you. And if he can get you to be accused of God, your kids are gone. Because I saw the fire of God come down and burn your house and burn everything you got. And Job falls in the floor and then here comes the messengers oh you're not it's alright I'm preaching all along you've got to understand you're all going to have messengers oh yes you will and here comes the messengers this has happened that has happened this has happened Joel falls down into sackcloth and ash. The devils are still a little bit naked. I came into the world naked. I leave. It's all right. God giveth. God taketh away. Bless the name of the Lord. And then here comes the Bible says, and it came upon a day. Satan goes back and said, well, that little plan didn't work. Can I go a little bit further in Job's life? I'm cool with Job. See what I'm saying? Job got it all down. You can't have to you know, do solid, bro. <laughs> Let me now asked you to stretch forth your hand and touch Job. God says, what? He says, I can't touch him. But stretch forth your hand and touch him.
Go back and read it, folks. He is trying to seduce God. And God says, nah, I won't do that. You can touch him, but I won't put my hands on Job. There are times, Brother Pixler, that God will remove his hedge, but he will never take away his hand. I want it to marinate. God will remove the protective hedge, but he will never take away his sustaining hand. You're not hearing me preach. Amen. You can take this whole world, but if the hand of God, my God, I feel the... If the hand of God is still resting on my life, then I'm going to be all right. He might remove my hands, but as long as his hand is still on me, somebody lift your hands and say, God, you removed your hands, but please don't withhold your hand from me right now. God, you take Job's stuff, he'll quit praying. You, you, you take Job's stuff, he'll quit praying. You let trouble come in, in Job's life, he'll quit coming to church. Oh, yes. You let everything that Job has trusted in and leaned on, you take all of that away from you and Job will stop coming to church and Job will quit raising his hands and Job will not pay his tithe and Job will just curse you to your face. Hmm. No, I haven't been in your living room, but I am up in your Kool-Aid. And know your flavor. Because it's easy to serve God when things are going well with thy soul. And it's another thing when the hedge comes down. And you are abandoned to the wild. When the predator is allowed to come. When the tempter has total access. When demons knock at your door and then they quit knocking and just walk in. When all hell breaks loose and messages come from every side and you wonder then, where is God? He's already trying to convince God that you don't love him. Now he's trying to convince you that God doesn't love you. All in one thing. To cause you to faint because of your weaknesses. That's when he begins his most meticulous work. With a surgeon's skill, with the scalpel, he begins.
to carve away everything you ever trusted in. And now doubt comes and fear comes and unbelief is overwhelmed and uncertainty comes and anxiety comes and unsurety ensues and where is God and why isn't he here and I've preached sermons but now the day has knocked at my door I've held revivals but now it's knocking on me and now I am left unabandoned without his hedge and things are wild things are running through my life and situations are happening and I'm praying but brass has covered heaven and iron has covered the earth and I can't break through and nobody understands I'm wishing somebody would call and nobody calls me and I call my friends and they never answer me I send out a text and nobody responds and nobody understands exactly where I am and nobody understands exactly what I'm going through what is God up to God what are you doing you question him there is no answer the hedge is gone But rest assured, my friend, the hand is still there. That's one thing I know, Pastor Urshan, that David understood one thing. Saul has thrown his javelins at me, but I am still anointed. The hand of God is still on me. They're not singing about me anymore. The songs have stopped being sung. The maidens have quit their dance. The minstrels have stopped their music, but I am still anointed. They took my wife away from me, and I'm running for my life, but the hand of God and the will feel in the Holy Ghost uh, trying to help somebody today. You need to understand. Uh, amen. External things cannot mess you up. Uh, it's what's on the inside of you uh, that the devil's trying to turn and twist. Uh, amen. That you will walk away from God uh, not realizing uh, I lost my house uh, but I'm still anointed. I lost my wife uh, but I'm still anointed. I don't have any money but I'm still anointed. I was some Help me preach in this house and understand. I've got cancer in my body, but I'm still. I'm still alone. Even in my weakest hour, uh, when all my strength is gone. When all of my security has been taken away. When everything I've trusted in is now betraying me. When God becomes my enemy and not my friend. His hand, though sometimes undetectable, is still there. And know for sure, when his hedge is gone, his hand is still there. God says, no, I, I won't stretch out my hand against him. The little translation was, slap him with an open palm. In the projects, we call that a pimp slap. It is called the slap of insult. 
If a man hits you with a full fist, that means he feels like you're a man. But if he slaps you with an open palm, he has just desecrated you and called you a woman. So now the brother got to go into his bag. Understand what I'm saying? Slap me with the pimp slap, then I go down. Take out the 357. How do you like that? Slap him with an open palm. God says, no. Because it's with my open palm that I dispense my blessing. And I'm not going to bless you with his hand and turn around and insult you with the same hand. I'll take away my hand, but my hand remains on your life. All of a sudden I realize I'm not as weak as the devil thinks I am. Because when I am weak, then am I strong. And his strength is made perfect in the photograph of my infirmities. When I am stripped, I, I hope I'm helping somebody. I don't. Can, can I go on? So, you know the end of Job. He endures the trial. He's blessed. When you come through, you will always get double for your trouble. Then, go with me quickly to Luke twenty-two thirty-one. And the Lord says unto Simon Peter, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as we, but I prayed for you, not that you're going to come out of it, that, that your faith don't fail you, that you don't allow the enemy to mess your head up. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so I begin to watch that and say, the word that really scares me is the word Seth. Mm-hmm. He said he's going to come and try me. He said he's yeah. going to Seth me. Immediately, Hebrews 4 and 12 comes in my mind. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divide of joints and marrow and soul and spirit, and is a discerner, a sifter, an investigator, a scrutinizer of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. And neither is there any other creatures that may manifest it in this sight, for all things then become open and make it before him unto whom we have to do. So, Brother Pixel, God comes now, and he starts to investigate me. He starts to scrutinize not only how I think, but what am I going to do with the thoughts that I think. And I'm not used to God doing that. And now, now, you know, he allows the devil again. The hedge falls down. The hand remains. But the sifting processes begin. Only thing I can equate this to is, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I'm from Alabama, and we was, what's Raymond at? Was it Raymond? Me and Ray was talking today. He's from, he's from the same place I'm from, but from a different city. 
Because we was both poor. I see some of y'all don't understand that. You see, there is, there is poor, and then there is poor. Poor means you had enough money for the additional O and the R. Poor is just P O. So we was poor. Brother Urshan, we didn't even know we was poor. We thought shoes was made with holes in the soles. We thought hand-me-down clothes was the folks, that's the way folk live. I was a teenager by the time we got in a house that had a bathroom inside. I felt like I was George Jefferson. I walked in there, it was a bedroom, and I mean a bedroom with a closet. Up until then, the bedroom was a bedroom. It was a room with three beds. And the one suit I had, I hung on a nail, and I was glad to hang it there. I was glad to have a nail. As a matter of fact, I'm still glad to have a nail, because Jesus is a nail in a sure place. Am I boring, y'all? Is this okay? So, Paul, my mom, I remember. She'd take flour. It's the only way I can, the analogy of sifting. And she used to have this little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, what is that called? Sifter? <laughs> we don't know about that today because you get flour already sifted. We didn't. We got flour in a bag. Not a paper bag, but it was in a cloth bag. And you didn't know what was in that bag. There could be bow weevils or, or any. No, you're laughing. I'm serious. So my mom, when she's making biscuits, the old southern cat head biscuits. That, that doesn't mean the biscuits is made out of cat. Now, we, it, we, this is not a Chinese restaurant. Here. <laughs> it just means the biscuits were as big as a cat's head. I just want to. I'm just going to it up. Watch it now, I got, a, I got a black belt and Kung Pao chicken. And she would take several cups of the flour and put it in the sifter. And she's going, and out of the bottom of the sifter would fall this fine, Silky flour. And what remained in the sifter was impurities and things that you did not want to ingest. Ah. When Jesus said the devil has desired to have you to sift you as sweet, he wasn't just talking to Peter, he was talking to all 12 of them. But Peter would be the first one to entertain the sifter, the messenger, the bufferter. Oh, it's not if the bufferter is going to come. It's just a matter of when he would come. It's not a matter of whether you're going to go through the process of sifting. It's a matter of when will you go through it. And you won't go through it just once. 
There will be many times that, ah, oh, help me, Holy Ghost. There will be many seasons where God's going to come and it's going to strip you down to nothing. He's going to take your strength away. He's going to remove everything that you've trusted in. He's going to take your hands. I'm praying for you, Pete. I'm not going to take you out of the process because you need the process, but I'm just going to pray that your faith don't fail. And when you come through, help, help your brothers because they're going to be sifted too. I've been sifted. I know you've been sifted. I've been sifted. If you're a man of God and you haven't been sifted, you may not be a man of God. Because if you're a man of God, you're going to get sifted. And God's going to put you in the combine. And he's going to start whopping those things. And you're going to be like flour, like wheat. And everything that's impure in you and everything that God cannot use in you, he's going to cast aside. And, he's going to, and what my mom used to do, uh, uh, Pastor White, she used to take that flour and put it back in the sifter again. And sift it again. Just to make sure there was something that the sifter didn't. Y'all not helping me preach, but it's okay. And then what? she would do, she would take a hammer and beat out those the stuff the lumps and throw it back in the sister to see if there was some good stuff in the bats, you're not helping me preach, amen, and then when it was all done, she'd take all the stuff she couldn't use and throw it away and then what she was left with she cooked biscuits and dropped dumplings inside a chicken and make chicken and dumplings with cat biscuits and we said oh baby it's good, but we didn't know what the flower had been through. Brother Sale, nobody knows what you've been through. We just think you're all together, put together. They don't know your times of sifting. They look at your church, oh, he's good, da da da. They don't know your times of sifting. Pastor, they don't know your time. They don't know how I many. They don't know. They don't know the times you fell out of your bed and fell out of your What did you do it to me? Picture this stuff in you. I, I got to put the whole deal in the sifter. And I'm just, I'm not trying to hurt you. But your weaknesses is what I'm working with. Did you, you understand? Y'all don't understand what I mean here. Do you understand that God's process of choosing is not based on how strong you are, but rather how weak you are? Oh. Had a guy stop me one time in Mercedes said, Do you know what the unemployment offer is? I said, What? Because I'm black, you think I know what the unemployment office is? He said, No, I just don't know what it is. I said, I have no idea. He said, do you live here? I said, yeah, I live here. He said, well, how come you don't know unemployment? Because I said, because I've never been unemployed, idiot. I'm a BMW. Black man working. 735 IL. You know what I'm saying? Rock down low. I better not go there. I better keep my ear. 
Riding on dubs, you know slammed, swamp in the back, digging the lane with the nasty signs. <laughs> Trying to get a culture shock for some of y'all. Y'all up here mile high, you can't even breathe air up here. I don't know what kind of brain y'all got. Bring you down here where the poor folk live. A few times I have interviewed with a job, they never asked me what my weaknesses were. They wanted to know what my strengths and what I was going to bring to the corporation, how I was going to better it. So they wanted to know me to list my strengths and my weaknesses, but they never chose me on my weaknesses. They hired me and employed me because of the strengths that I was breaking. But when God looks at your resume, he never chooses you because of your strengths. He sees what weaknesses that you have, and he chooses you according to your weakest place. Because when he does that, I come to a place where I know without him, I can do nothing. With him, all things are possible. But without him, my strength is useless. Without him, my abilities will not get me through. My talents won't make it. My intellectualism isn't enough. God chose me based on all my weaknesses and all my infirmities. And it is the paradox of strength and weakness. For when I am left unabandoned stripped and in my weakest point what I don't think I'm going to make it and my back's against the wall and the devil is lying and he's got me where he wants to I am actually at my strongest point my strongest because it's there that I am learning to lean learning to lean I am learning to lean on Jesus and I'm finding more power than I have ever dreamed. Why? I'm learning to lean. I'm not leaning on self. I'm not leaning on my intellect. I'm not leaning on my own power. I would somebody help me preach. I'm abandoned. I'm left in, I'm left in the wild. Amen. I am stripped of everything. My strength is out. I don't see my way. I'm like Samson grinding at the mill. The devil making sport. God nowhere to be found. And it's a contradictory situation, but the subtle nuances still remain that when 
I am weak, then am I strong for his strength is made perfect in the state of my weaknesses. And as I sat there and cried, because I really thought I had it all together. I really thought I was had it all together, but he had to take me to the place to remind me, it's not in you, Emory. It's in me. Because we can lose focus of what we're doing. And we can start leaning on our abilities to preach and our abilities to move in the spirit, not understanding that it has nothing to do with me. It's all to do with him. And he is so gracious and so kind and loves me so much that before he allows me to get lost in me, he will strip me down to where I have nothing but him. It's one thing to say Jesus is all you need And it's another thing When he's all you got I'm going to have to say that again So one thing Oh Jesus is all I need Well you saying that because you got a job you got a husband laying in the bed. Oh, Jesus is all I need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, okay. Huh? But one, what happens when he's all you got? You don't have nothing else. You join the ranks of Jacob. He left by the brook alone to face the darkness, to face your enemy. You left alone. What are you going to do when you find yourself where Jesus was in the wilderness all by himself? Could I say to you that you will not be able to escape the desert or the wilderness? Or the sifter. Because ultimately you're going to go to a place. Where God's not going to allow anybody to go but you. And you're going to be there. With doleful creatures. Creatures of the wild. The darkest of the night. Seething demons. Writhing spirits. And the devil comes. To see what you're made of. And God follows to see what he can make out of you. It's not that God doesn't know what you're made out of. It's that you don't know. Everybody has a breaking point. What's yours? Everybody has a point where they say, I followed you here, but beyond here, I think I won't follow anymore. Then you have allowed the process to do his work in you. Can I say to you, 
And nobody loves you like Jesus. And what's going on in your life is not to destroy you, but is it to teach you. That without him, it's all vanity. It is in your weakest hour. It is in what? I'm stripped. And I'm abandoned. And seemingly all my friends are gone. I open the Bible. And the letters are dead. I have no, nobody speak. Nothing speaks to me out of it. I go to church. I don't feel a thing. I raise my hand. It's a monotony. I see other people shouting, but I don't feel the shout. And I'm there abandoned. And where is God in my life? And now I'm scrutinized and I am taken apart and my whole life is dismantled like pieces of a puzzle thrown on the living room floor. How do we get out of there? I can remember... One of the darkest hours that flowed over my life at that point. I've had several. I didn't know which one to tell you about. Two years in living for God. Our 15 year old son gets killed. That was dark. That was weak. But my pastor was there. and The church family was there. and The prayers of the saints held us up. As for 18 solid months of hell, we were numb to the process and just led about dragging our feet. My wife's having a nervous breakdown, almost losing her mind, going from three incomes to one. That was tragedy, that was devastation. I was at my weakest point. Things I didn't understand, questioned God, mad at God. 14-year-old daughter falls into sin, I'm preaching in the church, and I get hit again. My wife diagnosed with terminal cancer. The doctor looks at me and says, she has six months if we do radiation, if we do chemo then God mercifully just heals her we made it through that but then brother Pixler out of nowhere comes the messenger those are all peripheral I mean they touched me but and he comes the messenger always comes with a message. I was falsely accused of something that I didn't do. And I sat in my room for three days while the sifter sifted me. I didn't even get out of my 
didn't even get out of my night clothes. I got up in the morning and I sat in a chair and I sat there all day long and cried the first day. I never went out of my house. I prayed. I couldn't call anybody. The nature of the situation was one that I was a nobody. And the people that were levering these accounts against me, they were connected and connected and connected and connected and connected. And my daddy was an alcoholic. I'm a first generation Pentecostal. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. I have nothing. I have no one. I've been abandoned. My pastor won't talk to me. I can't believe it. I didn't do it. I promise you I didn't do it. I would never do it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Nobody's listening. The lie is heralded and the truth is silent. The second day of coming. Please. My wife comes in the room, she falls in my lap. We go, Jesus, what do we do? God, come on. The third day he finally comes. The third day, the third day he comes. I said, What am I supposed to do? And he says, Nothing. You can't say a word. I'll take care of this for you. That is not what I wanted to hear. I could have took care of it. But God knew how hurt I was and how wounded, how offended. And if I would have took care of it. So I was charged. Hold your peace. So the phone start, phone calls started, Brother Pixel. But Emory, I'm sorry we can't have you. I, I said, you mind telling me why? Well, we got the report. I said, the report's not true. Well, it's coming from a verifiable source. But Emory, I'm afraid we can't have you. I'm afraid you won't be able to come. Phone call after phone call. So my wife says, what are we supposed to do? I said, we can say nothing. And my wife is nice. She's so precious. She, she's my conscience. She's my compassion. They come in my office and say, I just want compassion. I go, okay, go talk to my wife. <laughs> and she said, well, what about our reputation? What, what about what people believe? I say, apparently, God doesn't care about my reputation as much as he cares about his. So we are to say nothing. The process took two years. People calling from other districts. I heard what I, I didn't. What are you supposed to do? How do you? What, what do you do with that? How do you? How do you get through that? 
the hedge was gone, but his hand was still there, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't protest my innocence. I, I couldn't. It was later on that he showed me why I had to be quiet. He said, "If you engage in this fight, your kids are going to be lost. Oh my! They'll get a bad taste about ministry and church, and they will never be saved. That's why you have to hold your peace and allow me to fight your battles for you." For you see, when I was weak, then he was strong in my defense. And I learned not to chase every rumor I heard about myself. And not to worry about every lie that was told. Only worry about the truth. You can't do nothing against the truth only for. Don't, don't worry about that. Just let them lie. the night is dark and the hideous laugh of the enemy and the accusing finger of your adversary is pointed swiftly in your face what are you going to do essentially what Job's wife asked him what are you going to do Job I don't know what you mean we've lost everything why don't you just, I don't understand what are you doing. Just just curse God and die. And Ur of Chaldeans, what happened is they had idol gods. And you would serve the God as long as he was good to you. And when the God wasn't good, you go choose another one. If Bonduk wasn't good, you serve Astrop. Astrop wasn't good, you serve Dagon. Dagon wasn't good, you serve Baal. You just keep finding, keep searching until you found a good God. So Job says to his wife, have you been hanging around the chicks down at the water hole? You, you need to stay away from Walmarts. Because the folks that walk, that, the folks that shop at Walmart, they're crazy. You're speaking like one of the foolish women down at the village. You, you're talking to the wrong people. If I receive good in this hand, shall I receive evil When you're stripped, when you're weak, when you're unabandoned, when you're vulnerable, when you're stripped down to nothing, you got no strength, and all you can do is cry, and God's not there, or you perceive He's not. As Job said, I look to my my right hand, he, I look I look in front of me, He's not there. But then it says a peculiar thing, Brother White. He said, At my left hand where he now worketh. The left hand in the Jewish idiom means where my mess is. The Jews didn't clean up stuff with their left, with their right hand, because it was the hand of fellowship. They cleaned up their stuff with their left hand. God's working on my mess. I don't know about you. I don't even know if I can do it in the seat.
never would have made it. I never could have made it without you. I would have lost it all. But now I see you were there for me. And I can say I never would have I'm 